My name is James Metzger. I'm the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into our podcast. At Ren, we really believe that God's Word is living and active, that God still uses it to form and shape and change lives uh, for all of eternity. And so our prayer uh, for you is that God might use uh, these words to point you and others to Jesus. May God bless you in your journey. Uh, Father God, we uh, give you thanks for uh, the freedom that we enjoy uh, today because of the sacrifice of brave uh, men and women who have gone before us. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that we have the great joy and the privilege of gathering together as uh, your people and doing so freely. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, moments like this when we can pause and we can uh, remember uh, the sacrifice that has been paid in order to make it uh, possible. We, we, we remember those who uh, gave their lives uh, for us uh, to be able to do uh, this. Uh, and yet we also remember uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, Lord, who uh, offered us the ultimate freedom. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this place and for this time. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that we are a people of uh, your kingdom, that you are a God of the nations, that uh, while we live in this place and give thanks for this place, we also recognize uh, that this place is not our home. Uh, Lord, give us a longing for you. Uh, Give us a longing for heaven, for a new heaven and a new uh, earth. Lord, thank you so much for your word that was written to us thousands of years ago. Lord, I thank you that it is living and active, that when it goes out, uh, it accomplishes what you so desire. Uh, Lord, I pray in our time together this morning that you would soften our hearts, give us attentive ears. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, might move in and uh, through us uh, this morning. Be our teacher, uh, be our guide. God, we love you. We thank you so much for uh, loving us first, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name uh, and by your Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. I was just thinking this morning, I don't know why I thought of this, but um, if, you've, if you've ever spent any time with, with kids before, with children, you know what it's like to have a child come up to you when they are younger and say to you, hey, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Mommy, uh, Daddy, come here. I want to show you something. Come here. 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 I want to show you something. I want to show you something. And it just builds. And you're like, I'm coming. I'm coming. And, and your child will take you and show you a, a piece of artwork or a little project that they're working on or something that they've uh, grown uh, to love. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, our role or our privilege as followers of Jesus is we get to come along other side, uh, come alongside people and say, hey, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. And we get to point them to Jesus. Right? Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? The, the gospel of Mark is a, a gospel all about Jesus. It's a, a gospel about Jesus as the servant king. And it's a gospel that asks the question, who is Jesus? And as we uh, walk through these verses together in these passages, in these chapters uh, together, you'll see what the author is doing is pointing us to Jesus. He's answering the question, who is Jesus, by showing us the words and the works 
of Jesus. And so this morning, as we uh, open up the Word together, I, I want us to be able to see Jesus. I want, uh, I want to, to have you come alongside me and go, hey, come here, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. And what I want to show you is the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, we see it in the Gospel of Mark in the 8th chapter. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me there as we uh, look uh, to Jesus. It says in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 1, In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. Verse 7, And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took upon the broken pieces left over seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got in the boat and sent, uh, he immediately he got in the boat with his disciples and went to the district of uh, Dalmantua. Uh, Del, uh, That's a mouthful. Um, three observations from. Mark chapter 8 that I want us to think about this morning. The first thing that I want us to see from the text is that Jesus felt compassion. Uh, Jesus felt compassion for the people. Now maybe you're here this morning going, James, where did you um, see that in the text? Why do you say that? I'm glad that you asked. Um, I noticed it in verse 2 when it says, I have compassion on the crowd. You don't have to go to seminary for that. It's right there. In the text, Jesus felt compassion for the people. Oftentimes when we think about compassion, we're talking about kindness or sympathy. Right? Kindness or sympathy. When you have compassion towards someone, you're, you're kind to them or you're sympathetic toward them. And yet, this idea of compassion in Scripture and elsewhere is actually a very rich word. The, the meaning comes from a Latin word that means to suffer with. Right, to suffer with. And so uh, Jesus was suffering uh, with the people. Compassion then means that we suffer with one another. Right? Someone else's heartbreak becomes our heartbreak. Uh, someone else's broken heart becomes our broken heart. Someone else's struggle becomes our struggle. Someone else's disappointment uh, becomes our disappointment because uh, we suffer with them. Jesus was uh, suffering with the crowd. He demonstrated uh, compassion to them. But he demonstrated compassion. When we read in the New Testament about uh, Jesus showing compassion, oftentimes we notice it in a number of different ways. 
Um, The first way that we notice Jesus demonstrating or showing compassion is that when Jesus suffers with those with physical needs, physical ailments, sickness, a brokenness, disease. When we walk through the Gospels, we notice there are times when Jesus sees someone who is physically broken. Uh, something is, has come upon them. They have a sickness. They have a certain limitation. And, and the Gospel accounts oftentimes talks about Jesus feeling with them. Right? He, he suffers alongside of them. He's not apathetic to their situation. He cares for them. Right? If, if you're here this morning and you, and you wrestle with or suffer with some sort of sickness or disease, the, the God of the universe suffers with you. Right? He, he doesn't turn a blind eye to your situation. He doesn't shrug his shoulders and think to himself, well, that's too bad. No, he suffers with you. Jesus suffered with people uh, with physical needs. He also suffered with people... Uh, he suffered with those with practical needs as well. There are times when we read in the Gospels uh, that Jesus suffered with people who had very just practical needs. Uh, here in Mark chapter 8, when we read about the hungry crowd, uh, it says that Jesus had compassion for the hungry crowd because they had been with him for a while and they were hungry. And that's just like a, a basic human need and Jesus felt for them in that moment. We read in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus saw a large crowd. Scripture says that that Jesus uh, had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You may remember a few months ago, or it seems like a few years ago, when we were in Mark chapter 6, we talked about how that passage is is talking about the fact that these people um, lacked a leader. When Jesus said he, he felt for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd, he wasn't simply saying, I feel bad for them because they're down on their luck. Um, we, we talked about how Jesus felt for them because they were, they were like aimless. They were, they were like a group of people without a leader who was giving them direction. Remember we talked about how in the Old Testament there were often times when, uh, when uh, someone would look at the people and talk about that same idea that they had compassion for the people because they didn't have a leader or they didn't have a king. So in Mark chapter 6 it says that Jesus um, saw the crowd. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what did he do? He, he taught them. Right? He, he began to lead the people. So when Scripture talks about the compassion of Christ, oftentimes it's in the context of those people who had physical needs. Sometimes it's in the context of people who had practical needs. And then other times uh, it it talks about Jesus suffering with or having compassion uh, toward those with spiritual needs. And so Jesus meets a woman uh, at the well uh, who has relationship problems. Right, and, and the way that she has been operating and the way that she has been living has been out of sorts. And so Jesus is heartbroken for this woman. He wants to speak truth into her life. He doesn't just want to meet her practical need, which was water. He wanted to meet a deeper spiritual need that she had. Right, so when Scripture talks about compassion, it's talking about Jesus suffering with us, Jesus coming alongside of us. Sometimes it's a physical need. Sometimes it's a practical need, and sometimes it is uh, a spiritual need. Jesus felt 
compassion. Uh, but, but Jesus didn't just feel compassion. And it's, it's one thing to feel compassion. That's a good thing. Uh, it's, it's an even better thing to actually show compassion. See, that's the second thing that we notice from this passage is that not only did Jesus feel compassion for the people, but he showed compassion. He demonstrated compassion. I think sometimes in life we, we confuse the idea of empathy uh, with compassion. Uh, empathy is the action of understanding or being aware of or being sensitive to or experiencing someone's thoughts or feelings. It's coming alongside someone and going, man, I, man my heart is broken because of, of what you're going through or what you're experiencing. Uh, but but com- compassion in Scripture uh, seems to be something more than that. Uh, because Jesus didn't simply feel badly for the people. Uh, he did something about it. What, what makes this story compelling and other stories in the Gospels compelling is that Jesus didn't only feel, but he moved and, and he acted. That's what makes this story a great story. It's important that we are empathetic toward people. It's important that we, that we feel what people are feeling or, or try to experience on some level what people are experiencing. But it's another thing to show compassion. Right? If this story was simply a story of, of Jesus' feeling, then it wouldn't make uh, this story significant. If we just said, for instance, that Bob, I don't know who Bob is, but... There's a Bob in every crowd. Bob saw a homeless man. Bob felt bad for the chap. The end. But that, that's, that's, not a, that's not a great story. It's, it's good that he felt for him, but it's not a great story. If we said Morgan found out that her best friend lost her boyfriend of three years, Morgan said, that's a shame. The end. Like, that, that wouldn't be a compelling story if we, said, if we said Bill heard John was sick and Bill thought to himself, that's a bummer. The end. That's not a compelling story. It, it may be an example of someone feeling for someone else in the moment, but if there's no movement or action, then it's, then it's just a feeling. What makes this story a great story is what takes place in verse 5. Mark chapter 8, verse 5 reads, And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they sat before, uh, and he set them before the crowd. And they had a few fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before him. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now, one of the things that we notice about compassion, and specifically the compassion of Jesus, is that compassion acts. Compassion acts. Compassion uh, moves. This isn't a one-off story that we read about in the Gospels. There are other times when Jesus sees a need and he responds to the need. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 says, When Jesus heard what had happened, 
he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus feels compassion, and then Jesus acts. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus feels compassion, uh, and then he acts, and then he moves. And there are example after example after example in Scripture uh, that we should do the same. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see what Paul's saying to the church at Colossae? He's saying, God has comforted you. He has extended compassion to you. Um, now you Christian, you believer, you follower of Jesus, uh, I want you to show compassion to one another with the same compassion that God, your Father, has shown to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Uh, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Right? So as, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we feel and experience compassion, and then we respond. Right? We, we feel compassion, and then we move. We act. Uh, we, we do this oftentimes imperfectly, um, but, but it's still our hope as the people of God that we are moving and acting. A number of months ago, probably six, seven months ago, I told you the story about uh, Mauricio uh, and his wife, Laura. They're friends of mine from uh, Colombia, not that Colombia, but the faraway Colombia, and uh, you may remember their story. Uh, Mauricio was a pastor in uh, Colombia at a church with his father. And uh, he had had an experience in Colombia uh, where he was fearful for his life and for uh, the lives of his two little girls. And so someone, in essence, knocked on his door one day and said, uh, you need to pack your bags and you need to leave immediately. Okay, so just imagine for a moment uh, that you are sitting in your seat this morning uh, and someone comes and finds you and says, uh, I need you to go home and I need you to pack your bags and I need you to get on a plane and I need you to go uh, to a place that is safe, far away from everything that you've grown to know and love. I need you to leave your church. I need you to leave your friends. I need you to leave your job. I need you to leave your home behind. I need you to go now. All right, that was their experience. And someone come along, came alongside them and said, it is not safe for you to be here anymore. You have to leave now. 
But I heard that story for the first time, and uh, my heart was broken uh, for my friends. Right? There was a sense where I, where I felt for them. One of, the, one of the cool things that I think our church, Renaissance, you, uh, did is, is you have, have rallied alongside of them. Um, they, they live in a, in a safe place now. I, I recently was able uh, to spend some time with Mauricio, and he said, James, if you came over to my house now, it would seem like uh, we had been living there for years. Uh, and the reason that that apartment feels like home to us is because of your church, uh, because you guys gave generously um, to us to allow us to settle into a place that was very foreign to us. Uh, as a church body, we've continued to support them uh, monthly over the course of the last uh, seven months. Uh, they are here uh, in part because of your generosity. I give thanks to God for you, Renaissance, and uh, not just because you, you felt an emotion or you felt compassion, but because your compassion moved. Right, and so this morning, I want to share with you a short video uh, from my friend as he gives thanks uh, to God for you. Watch this. Renaissance Church, uh, my name is Mauricio Bunch. Uh, my family and I have been supporting by your offerings uh, during this year. And I just want to let you know how thankful we are for feel God love through you guys. just want to tell you that you have the most amazing pastor. One of my favorite guys in the, in the, in the gospel, I would say. And I just want to thank you and just want to ask you, ask the Lord, sorry for my English, ask the Lord that he might uh, get back to you abundantly the way that you guys have uh, given to the kingdom and uh, everything everything that you have done for, for, for him. Thank you guys so much. God, God bless you. Isn't that cool? Uh, forget the, the part about your pastor, but uh, I, I wanted to cut that out, but... Uh, we just did one take. Um, listen, God, God has used you, has used you, Renaissance, uh, to, to come alongside of them, to encourage them, and to breathe a life into them because of your rich generosity. And here's the deal. We, we have opportunities um, like that uh, each and every day. But I understand that the stories are different. I understand that that story uh, seems otherworldly. It, it seems almost extreme. It doesn't uh, seem normal. But listen, there are opportunities that you and I have each and every day to extend compassion. Our, our students have an opportunity to come alongside other students at school, students who, who feel like they are on the outside looking in, students who don't have a circle of friends that they run with, uh, students who, who may feel very lonely, um, our students have an opportunity to come alongside those students and befriend them and love them and demonstrate the love of Christ for them. That's a way that students can show compassion. We have opportunities to, to come alongside single moms who are alone and are trying to figure things out on their own and encourage them and breathe life into them and let them know, hey, you are not alone. You're not doing this alone. Like we are for you and we are with you. We will, we will show compassion. We will suffer with you. Uh, we have opportunities to come alongside uh, men and women and children who suffer from sickness in our church body and let them know, hey, we, we can't guarantee uh, that everything is fixed, but what we can guarantee is that we will do our best to love you well. 
Like we will pray for you. We will show up. We will be present. We will come alongside of you. Right? If there's someone here who wrestles with fear or anxiety or worry or fill in the blank, we have opportunities to come alongside of them and say, we will suffer with you. We are the body of Christ. We will extend compassion to you. See, I think one of the times... Uh, or some of the time, one of the things that we can wrestle with in extending compassion is that there are times when it seems like what people are facing are so beyond us. Right? There's, there's challenges or there, there's sickness or there's trials that we feel like if we press into them, we won't know what to say, we won't know what to do, we won't know how to respond. And so we think maybe it's just going to be best if I slowly back away and let this thing play out. Because oftentimes we're looking at their circumstance and we're thinking, uh, this is beyond me. I think the disciples thought the same thing. Mark chapter 8, verse 4, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And that's super practical. Jesus feels compassion for the crowds. They had been following him around. They were hungry. They hadn't eaten in a while. And, and Jesus feels for them. And they just say something real honest. They're like, Jesus, we are in the middle of nowhere. So how are we going to get food? Right? That's a legitimate question. But notice the disciples saw the size of the problem and not the capacity of their Savior. Right? They saw the size of their problem and not the capacity of uh, their Savior. If you, if others are facing issues that you look at and you're going, hey, that's too big for me, um, it probably is. <laughs> it is. Right? You, you can't fix it. Right? That's, that's not the goal. But it, it's not too big for God. I had a friend that once told me, James, all things are small things to God. All things are small things God. Now, I know it doesn't, doesn't feel like it from our perspective, but to the God of the universe, the same one who spoke the world into existence, the same one who upholds the world with the word of his power, the same one that multiplies bread and raises the dead, the same one that puts foreign armies to flight and gives people sight. All things are small things. To God. Right? And so we have an opportunity as, as a people of God to extend compassion uh, to others, uh, to, to move, to press in to their hearts and into uh, their lives, to roll up our sleeves, to get our hands dirty, uh, to suffer with our brothers and sisters. Jesus, uh, we notice in Mark chapter 8, uh, felt compassion. He looked at the reality of what the crowd was facing and his heart was broken for them. But not only did he feel uh, compassion, he showed compassion. And he showed compassion. He, he performed the miraculous. Performed the miraculous. And not only did Jesus feel compassion or show compassion, but Jesus shows compassion uh, toward you. Toward you. Right? Not just some random crowd 2,000 years ago on a field. He shows compassion to you. Right? He, knows, he knows your story. 
Right? He knows what breaks your heart. Uh, he knows what you wrestle with. He knows what battles you face. And Jesus shows compassion toward you. It says in verse 5 of Mark chapter 8, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He, he, the ground. he multiplies the bread and uh, the loaves. You don't see it here right in this passage, but earlier in Mark chapter 7, it says that, that Jesus at the time this took place was in the area of the Decapolis. Um, that's significant because if this story sounds familiar to you, it probably is. A couple chapters previous to this, uh, Jesus uh, multiplied uh, the loaves and the fishes uh, to a group with 5,000 men. And so most people believe, including women and children, there was significantly more than that. But that miracle took place on what would be uh, the west side of the Sea of Galilee. That area was an area uh, filled with predominantly uh, Jewish folks. Right? But where Jesus finds himself for this miracle is on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. The area of the Decapolis uh, was ex- is completely east of where you see that first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, took place. And that area, the area of the Decapolis, was an area filled uh, not with Jews but with Gentiles. Uh, they were people that other people would look at and say they are outsiders. Um, They are not God's people. They are not the chosen ones. They are not the Jews. They're they're Gentiles. In other words, they're people uh, like you and me. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is is showing that uh, the good news of the gospel is not just good news uh, for the religious Jewish folks on the west side of the lake. Uh, It's good news for people like you and me on the east side of the lake uh, as well. You see, the the gospel teaches us and shows us uh, that the gospel is good news for you and for me, not just for a few select people. Um, The gospel is uh, the good news that Jesus, God's Son, has come uh, to rescue sinners. Scripture teaches us uh, that we were born into sin. We were broken people. We sinned against God in our our words, in our actions, and in our thoughts. Uh, God is a just and a holy God, and so he can't simply ignore our sin or, or say, hey, let's let bygones be bygones or just sweep our sin under the rug. God is a holy and just God, and so our sin uh, must be dealt with. But God is also a merciful God, and he is a God of grace. And so he sent his son Jesus, fully God and fully man, uh, to walk among us, uh, to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. Uh, when Jesus hung on the cross, he took the punishment uh, for my sins and for your sins, and they were placed uh, upon him. Jesus was buried. Uh, he defeated death and was raised to life, and he extends that life uh, to you and me, regardless of what side of the lake you live on. In fact, you don't even have to live at the lake. Right? That is good news. Good news that that God the Father has extended uh, compassion to people like you and me. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. And the heart of God longs. He longs to show compassion to you. Uh, therefore, therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. And uh, he has, God has been compassionate uh, toward you and he has been compassionate toward me. And what he has done is he has freed us up uh, to be compassionate uh, toward others. 
in uh, author Bob Goff's new book, Everybody Always. He tells uh, the story of a time when he sold his house. He had moved, I think, about six or seven times in about eight years. Uh, His wife wasn't really happy with him, but they moved into this one particular house. They fixed it up, uh, and then it came time for them to sell it because there was a house um, right across the street that they had fallen in love with, and they thought, well, let's move over there uh, because it'll be easy to move our stuff from here uh, to there. And so when they put their house up for sale, they thought, we don't just need a buyer. Uh, we need a neighbor. Now, we, d- we don't want to just sell the house to anyone. We want to sell the house to someone that we actually like and want to be around. And sure enough, uh, God provided for them Carol. Uh, Carol fit the bill perfectly. Uh, Carol was a widow who was in her 50s who wanted desperately to move to that part of California. Carol quickly became a more than just a neighbor. Uh, Bob and his wife's kids would oftentimes go over to Carol's house uh, during the course of the week. They would tell stories to Carol about what they had learned at school or experiences that they had or things that they would love doing. They would tell their stories and Carol would lean in and say, tell me more, tell me more. Uh, Carol would bake them cookies and so they would come over uh, and and raid her little cookie spot and uh, be full of cookies and then they would go back on a sugar high uh, to Bob's house. Uh, Bob and his wife developed a relationship with Carol. They would call Carol a couple times a week just to check in. They were short conversations, but they just wanted to know how Carol uh, was doing. Carol became a part of their family. One day, Carol uh, called Bob, and uh, Bob knew immediately that something uh, was wrong. Uh, Carol informed Bob that she had just gotten back from uh, the doctor, and the doctor had diagnosed her with cancer. When Bob tells the story in his book, he says that her words hung over the telephone wire. It seemed like in that moment, time stood still. Bob thought for a moment and told uh, Carol to hold on, uh, that he needed to do something and that he would be right over. And so what Bob Goff did, and only what Bob Goff could do, is he went to Radio Shack and he bought walkie-talkies. Uh, And he went over to Carol's house and knocked on the door and he gave her a walkie-talkie and he turned it on and he said, you keep this uh, by your bed and we're going to keep this uh, in our room and we can talk to each other via walkie-talkie. Because Bob believed that something happened when you talked using walkie-talkies. It's it's not like uh, all the problems went away, they didn't. But in that moment, you felt uh, like a kid again. You felt like you were in a treehouse. You felt some measure of joy. You didn't quite seem quite as afraid as uh, you once were. Uh, Bob went back to his house and turned on his walkie-talkie, and the very first time he hit that button on the side of the walkie-talkie, and he said, Hello? Carol? And she replied, Bob, is that you? And Bob thought to himself, who else could it be? Carol had a long and ferocious fight against cancer. On one particular occasion, uh, Carol was sent to the hospital for emergency surgery. Bob found out about it and immediately drove to the hospital. He found her nurse in the hospital and gave her nurse 
a walkie-talkie and said, I want you to put this next to Carol's bed. And she turned it on and Bob snuck into the room. He climbed in the bed that was next to Carol's with uh, a sheet separating the two of them. He waited for about four minutes and prayed to the God of the universe yet again uh, that he would be kind to Carol. And then he pushed the button on the side of the walkie-talkie and he said, Hello? Carol? He heard fumbling from uh, the bed next door uh, to his, and he heard that button being pushed on the side of the walkie-talkie, and then he heard Carol's voice say, Bob, is that you? He said in that moment, they both put their heads back, and they laughed, uh, and they cried. Uh, Bob Goff had a a walkie-talkie-like compassion. He saw someone that he knew and that he loved and he decided that he would suffer with her. It did not make her cancer go away. It did not take away all of her pain and discomfort. But what it did do is it brought her a measure of joy in that moment. Just a measure of joy. And what it communicated uh, to Carol is you will not, you will not, you will not do this alone. Renaissance Bible Church, this room is filled. It is filled with people who are desperate, who are desperate to experience compassion. If you are here this morning, I do not care how cleaned up you look on the outside. You are a human being. And guess what? Human beings suffer. We suffer. That means each and every person here is desperate for someone to come alongside of us and give us a walkie-talkie and say, hello? (laughs) Is that you? And we as a church body have the joy of doing that. We have the joy of looking beyond our own noses to the people who are sitting next to us or in front of us or behind us and introducing ourselves uh, to them, uh, pursuing them, building a relationship with them, and telling them, I will suffer with you. I will suffer with you. It does not uh, matter if it is a physical thing. It doesn't matter if it is a spiritual thing. It doesn't matter if it's just a real practical thing. I will suffer with you. Uh, Renaissance, as your pastor, one of my desires, one of my hopes is that we uh, would be a people who suffer uh, well with each other. Suffer well with each other. I understand that that work is not always easy. Oftentimes, it is messy work. But let me tell you, it is good. And I long for that. And if you are here this morning, then I suspect that you do too. Uh, So I pray that we would suffer together well. Would you pray with me? God of the universe, thank you so much that you uh, sent your son Jesus uh, to suffer with us. Thank you that you are not apathetic uh, to uh, the issues and to the trials and the tribulations and to the stuff uh, that we face. Uh, Thank you that you have gladly and joyfully uh, come alongside of us. You did that primarily through uh, your son Jesus, but you do that through the power of your Holy Spirit even now. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church body uh, to walk well with people. 
I pray that we would not just be a people who feel compassion, uh, but show compassion because, God, you have been so compassionate uh, toward us. We give you thanks this morning. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.